Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you took the time to either view this on Facebook or YouTube or listen to us on iTunes or Spotify or Amazon. We're grateful for your listenership and your viewership to the podcast. As always, we invite your input. Uh, If you have something that you would like to contribute to the podcast, how we can make it better, you can reach me at fredjeffsmith at gmail.com, fredjeffsmith at gmail.com. We appreciate your input. I'm very happy today uh, to welcome to the podcast uh, Attorney Gail Horn Ray, who is a candidate for the 19th Judicial District Judgeship. Uh, Attorney Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us. Thank you for having me. I was saying before we started taping, could you help clarify, and and you have for me, but there might be others who are like I am. Can you help clarify for me, why are there so many different levels of judgeship in the East Baton Rouge Parish area, and I guess in the Louisiana area? We have district judges, city judges, juvenile court judges, family court judges, uh, city court judges. I, I, I don't always know what the distinctions are. Can you help us understand that, please? Well, city court is uh, encompasses the city of Baton Rouge. Uh, the district court judges uh, encompass East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, then there's family court. Now, there are some places uh, that are smaller areas. They don't have, they don't divide up from district court, family court, juvenile court. The district court judge would do all, all of, that. of that. Okay. But I, I assume because of our size that when they started, it was uh, city, district, and then family court. At one time, family court handled both the family court matters and the juvenile court. And then maybe 20-some-odd years ago, they uh, decided to have a separate juvenile court. So they have all of that. And then also they have justice of the peace that they use to mostly big people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I hope I don't ever have to run across a justice of the peace. You've been practicing law for four decades plus. What made you decide to run for judge? Uh, uh, I understand that you have a very successful uh, practice, uh, uh, practicing law. What made you decide that you wanted to go on the other side and become a judge? Well, they, I've been asked a number of times, and I, but I always enjoyed working with the people and, and helping, you know, the, the individuals uh, in the community. Um, when Judge Dysall passed, I, I kind of prayed about it, and I, I thought I saw some of the things that he was trying to do, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it came to me that you know that I could perhaps take up that mantle and 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 do some of the, the things that he was trying to do. So I decided to go ahead and, and run. As a matter of fact, they had asked me so much, they almost got to the point where they would say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to ask her this time because she's going to say no." <laughs> yes. And when I said yes, they were like, "What? What?" <laughs> but, but I, like I told him, I, I prayed about it, and I decided mm-hmm. that this, this was a time, if I was going to run, this should be the time to run. Okay, okay. Well, you're a native of Birmingham. Yes. What brought you from Birmingham to Baton Rouge? Uh, my first husband and uh, I met at the University of Alabama, and he was uh, one of the first black engineers uh, at Exxon. So uh, we, we moved here from Exxon, uh, and I started uh, LSU Law School. And, and he passed my second semester in law school, and mm. I, you know, just stayed because once you get a, a Louisiana law degree, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have a sister who, who's a lawyer, and I know that uh, the bar here is different from the bar in other places, and uh, so perhaps that that's yeah, why I, you decided the law, to I, stay. Yeah, our law is based on uh, the uh, French uh, and Napoleonic Spanish, code, Napoleonic code, right? And everybody else is uh, common law out of England, so. right? So, I mean, it, it, it transfers, but it's a little bit more difficult. So, And by that time, I think it's, uh, I had gone through law school and everything. I say it's something in the water when you 
come down here. If you stay here long enough, <laughs> you, you don't leave. <clears throat> when you went to law school, did you already have in mind what kind of law you wanted to practice, uh, criminal law, civil law, contracts, things of that sort? I wanted to do civil rights law. That was, okay. that was what I, I initially wanted to do. And I did, and did do a, a, a lot of it with uh, Robert Williams and uh, Bob Eames and Murphy Bell and, and my uh, Nelson Taylor, who was my, uh, was my second husband. And um, I always said, well, I'm not sure if I want to do criminal law. I don't want to have people's lives in my hand. Mm -hmm. But once I got out there and, and I saw that, I saw that I cared about what happened to them. And some of the people that I thought at the time didn't really particularly care whether about the person. So I said, well, I'm going to stay because I care. And, mm -hmm. I, and, I, and so I just kind of transitioned into mostly criminal defense. And I do do some other civil law. I used to call my uh, practice uh, like a neighborhood law, whatever the people in the neighborhood needed. That was what yes, I would do. Yes, ma'am. Um, Alabama right now has a uh, case before the Supreme Court having to do with redistricting. Uh, that's been a peeve of mine for the last year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, I feel like Louisiana as a state and East Baton Rouge Parish as a parish got a raw deal out of this whole redistricting process. As a an attorney and a prospective jurist, do you have an opinion about the Alabama law and what it could mean for Louisiana going forward with regard to redistricting? Well, my understanding of the case is that uh, right now uh, the uh, African-American uh, community in Alabama is about 37 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, representation they have as far as uh, the representative is 13 percent. So the one they have one black district drawn out of uh, the, uh, the, the area, and there should be at least two. Um, and the, otherwise the voters— are diluted. Yes. Um, and the the uh, sounds an awful <laughs> lot like Louisiana. Uh, yes, it does. <clears throat> and the the, um, the excuse is that I heard uh, when I was earlier today was that the uh, people in Alabama said, "Well, they could move. Y'all could move to different areas, and that way, if you move to another area, then you you would have a a, a better chance of uh, getting somebody elected." But then they just reapportion it again. Right. And 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 the idea that people can just up and move in order to be able to to have one man, one vote, I think it's ridiculous. You're, you're entitled to one man, one vote. Do you think that the Supreme Court will see it your way, or do you think that they'll stay it as they have with uh, the case here in Louisiana? Uh, my understanding is they have stayed the case until after the November elections, election. and then they'll take it back up again. Do you think that's what's going to happen in Alabama? or? I think that's pretty much what they are done, but I think that uh, uh, I think it stayed. I don't know whether or not the Supreme the Supreme Court ruled. They may not even rule on it until after the um, the the election is held. And as a matter of fact, I'm fairly sure because if it's uh, the elections are going to be held in about five weeks, right? They rarely come out with uh, anything you know that soon unless it's uh, something that they want <laughs> they want to so, overturn. So so let me ask this question, and and it's really not in the realm of of what you're here for, but. As a lawyer, I just I'm interested in your opinion about this. Um, I've I, I've done pushback the last couple of guests that I've had on here. I've had uh, Luke Mixon here. I've had Sarita Stibe here. I've had Ashley Shelton here, and I've asked the same question of all of them. Uh, I believe in voting. I vote. Uh, I, I I vote for everything. Anytime it comes up, I vote. But. It seems difficult for me to continue to encourage people to vote if their vote is being mitigated by these gerrymandered districts that are being drawn, and and it, it keeps my vote from having the efficacy that I would like it to have. How do I continue to encourage people to vote when the rules are being manipulated in such a way as to dilute my vote? Well. Uh, and I understand that the issue is that it's difficult for me to understand somebody not voting growing up in, in, in Birmingham, Alabama, when I did, because, like I said, the um, the, the 16th Street bombing yes, and, and the killing of, of the little, little girls, one of them was in school with me. 
Uh, so voting has always been just the most important uh, thing to me. I can't see any reason why we won't vote. Now, I know that uh, there are tricks and um, that they're trying to keep us from voting now, but they were, they were trying to keep us—they were killing uh, people to keep them from voting yes. in the past. So uh, I, I would not let anything like uh, the fact that they, they are manipulating the system keep me from voting. I'd keep on voting and keep on voting and vote, try to vote some of these people out. And, and until we get the system right, too many people have died for the uh, right to vote to, to just get frustrated and, um, and turn around. In our history, the, the court system, specifically the federal court system, has been the salvation of civil rights. Uh, yeah. uh, things uh, that were done by municipalities and by states finally made it to federal courts, and the federal courts uh, gave the proper redress of our grievances uh, that you did not get on the lower level. These days, the, the, the federal courts have been uh, overrun uh, with conservative uh, judges so that it's very precarious uh, as to what you're going to get from the federal courts. Uh, the Supreme Court just started uh, their most recent session uh, this past week, uh, Monday, uh, yesterday. So. <clears throat> When the, when, when the court system seems to be rigged against fairness, what other opportunities do we have to uh, respond to these voting uh, atrocities that are commonplace now in our country? Well, um, now, the, the, the court systems have always been conservative. There, there were some who— uh, you know, managed to to get um, we, we were able to get uh, some some of the judges to rule in our favor, but they were they were always judges that they they had to fight against as well, even in the federal system. Because here we had E. Gordon West, and mm -hmm. he would he denied everything. As a matter of fact, the lawyers used to have the appeal in their pocket for when they after they got through uh, arguing the motion because they knew he was going to rule against them. Mm -hmm. And at that time, the Fifth Circuit was uh, a court that. Uh, benefited us now. The Fifth Circuit is one of the most conservative yes, uh, courts that there, there, there are. So I mean, we have to do. We have to organize. We have to vote. We have to um, uh, not give up. We have to educate uh, our, our people. Uh, I think um, all of that is, is part of it. It's, it's a. It's a I have a button that uh, I got a long time ago from Angela Davis that said, "Freedom is a constant struggle." So it's a struggle. You know, it's not—I you know, don't know if there's going to be a utopia that we're going to get to, mm -hmm. but we, we still have to always battle and, and, and try to do the best we can. If, when, you, when you can, use the judicial system. Uh, when you can't, you uh, have to, um, to use the voting system. When you can, if you get uh, elected to certain positions— um, and, and like we have black mayors now and, and other people in the legislature, then, you know, we have to, to do that. We have to do all of it. Mm -hmm. And then we have to sort of educate our other brethren uh, to the extent that they realize that uh, uh, it, it, when all of us are doing well, it's better than when we have a divisive system. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more of a caste system, mm -hmm. but uh, they, they, keep, um, they keep it going by making it, Racial, but it's more uh, uh, rich versus poor, those that have versus the, those that don't have. I appreciate you saying that because I've I've long uh, been a proponent that it was more economic than it was racial. Uh, so, score one for me. Nineteenth uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, JDC. What do you see as being uh, the most significant issues uh, that you will face once you become judge? Uh, of the 19th, uh, a judge in the 19th Judicial District Court? Well, um, I think one of the things we have to deal with is uh, mental health is, is, is what I've noticed in the last few years. I think we've used our prison system as a place for placing people who, in some instances, have mental health issues that should be Dealt with, and uh, they they are they have drug courts, they have domestic violence courts. Mm -hmm. uh, they're they're looking into all those kind of specialty courts, but there are some people who really have actual mental health issues, and because um, 
either the family doesn't want to recognize that that's a mental health issue or they don't until it's too late or we don't have any place to adequately deal with them, then we put them in the prison system. So mm -hmm. I think it's uh, important that we be able to, uh, we have to protect the public. Uh, we can't let people run around and just commit crimes and invade people's houses and shoot up. But we also need to, to try to see what we can do to help those people who have actual mental health issues and need some kind of help. So I think that that's very important. With the level of gun violence that seems to be expanding within this community, uh, what is it that you think that the court system can do proactively, not necessarily reactively, uh, to help bring down gun violence in East Baton Rouge Parish? Well, if I had to answer to that question, <laughs> to, to that question uh, I wouldn't have to run for judge. I could just sell it. And do it. But, uh, I mean, I think that we have to educate, and I think we have to get into the minds of young people. We, I mean, first of all, um, there are too many guns, so, so we can't. I mean, I don't know what the judge system can do about that because they, they want they want to let everybody have an AK-47, uh, which you know is is ridiculous. Yes. Um, but we we need to um, proactively. I think the entire community has to start working on conflict resolution because everything doesn't have to be. You know, you you you, you looked at. It, I've had people say, "Well, what happened? Oh, he was mugging me." I was like, "You mean he looked at you? Is right. that, that that's what we that's what right. you were upset about? He looked at you." Right. So we have to deal with the, the idea that everything doesn't have to be an all-out battle. Um, I think we have to uh, try to get illegal guns off the street. There are a lot of things that can be done. I don't know if the court system can do so much of it, but there there are uh, guns should be off the street, um, but. Crime is, 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 is sort of rampant, and, you know, there's an idea out there among even people who shouldn't have guns that I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by 6. Mm -hmm. So, that, you know, they're going to have a gun at, at, their, at their house. But the more guns you have at your house, the more likely you are to use them. So I, I don't know that the—I think the, as far as the judicial system is concerned, of course, we have to follow what the law tells us to follow. Mm -hmm. uh, we shouldn't—you uh, shouldn't be allowed to have— walk around with, with guns and, 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 you know, get angry and, and shoot people. But um, uh, I don't know that—I think it's going to take an overall uh, effort in order to do it. Do you consider yourself to be a, uh, a liberal, a moderate, a conservative? Do you buy into the whole labels of liberal, moderate, conservative? Uh, uh, I think that— on some issues, I'm very conservative. On some issues, I'm very liberal. So I guess that makes me a moderate. Uh, uh, as you view yourself and your candidacy, how, how would you describe yourself? I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a moderate. I, like you say, there are some things. There are some things that I was a lot more liberal on a few you know years ago when mm -hmm. I was younger. As I get. Uh, more uh, uh, seasoned. Seasoned. Yeah. <laughs> right. then, then you know, I find myself becoming more conservative. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I think that's you know, I guess that's what happens when you more you around and you see things, things that I thought my mother told me. I was like, I didn't want to hear that. That was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Now I find myself saying pretty much the same thing. And I guess I always someone I always say we train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, in the middle, they may depart <laughs> for a while, yes. but it comes back to them, and they realize that, well, you know, what they were saying had some, uh, some, some value. So I think I think consider myself to be uh, moderate to, but there are some things I'm very conservative about. So. Your view on uh, drug. Uh, the, 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 the proliferation of uh, opioids and this push by some groups to make uh, pharmaceutical addiction a health problem as opposed to a crime problem, whereas street drugs uh, have always been viewed more as a crime problem than a uh, mental health problem. You, you lifted up mental health. 
How do you account for the distinction that people make in how some drug abuse is viewed and other drug abuse is viewed very differently? Well, when it, you know, it's your child that has a drug abuse problem, then it's criminal. And when my child has a drug abuse problem, then it's you know, it's a a, a health problem. But I, I mean, addiction is. A, I think a health concern. It's just that uh, we've always had the idea of you know lock them up at, at, to at, as the answer to everything, mm-hmm. and and an addiction is something that you know you have difficulty controlling. You have to be able to get past the addiction. I have seen and known people who were in the hospital for open heart surgery and had their drugs brought into them. So that was that's obviously an addiction because you. You know, you're taking a real chance with your life to yes. do something like that. So yes. nobody, like they said, nobody wakes up and says, when I grow up, I want to be a, a, a junkie. Or I, when I grow up, I want to be, you know, somebody that's addicted to drugs. Mm-hmm. This is something that, that happens, and it happens uh, with street drugs. And now they're seeing this happening with uh, opioids and, and, and things to that effect. So, And I don't know. I think the legislature tries to do something, but they I think they want to supervise the medical field. So they now they want to tell the medical field how many times you can give a certain drug when they're not doctors mm-hmm. and, and what what they ought to do about this and 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 that. I think if they dealt with it more in a in a health conscious manner, they, they would still have a problem, but they might be better able to work on it. Well, Baton Rouge developed an entire tax base for drug counseling, uh, drug drug rehabilitation program uh, that they poured into the Bridge Center for Hope, uh, which was a BRAF, uh, uh, endorsed BRAF-sponsored uh, uh, product. It, it exists, but they seem to be having trouble, uh, financial trouble. Uh, they, they've experienced layoffs, uh, and they've had to shut down beds. And I know that it's not because there's not a real drug problem that exists within the community, uh, but there seems to be a problem with how they can administer the care that needs to be administered. From a judicial standpoint, I'm not asking you to be a social worker, right. but from a judicial standpoint, what are your alternatives? If an addict comes in to, to your court and uh, you feel like jail is not the 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 answer and 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 medical care uh is a better answer what are your options if if there are no beds available can can you send these people out of the district out of the area uh to receive the medical care that they that they need or are you bound by criminal procedure well i mean if if they that's the problem if they have the financial ability to go, then you know we can okay them going wherever. I've, I've represented people uh, who were financially able, and they were able to go to a, a, a place in Florida, and you know then they could pay the money. Their parents mm-hmm. could pay the money, and they could be there. On the other hand, we have people who don't have the finances, and there is a problem with the system because if they go into a 28-day program, and the uh, at the end of the 28-day program, the people say. Well, uh, they really need another 28-day stay. Mm-hmm. Well, Medicaid is going to say, "Well, we only pay for 28 days unless they relapse." So that doesn't make any sense. You got to, you know, you got to go out and relapse again in order to before, before them before, before they bring you back in. So it, it's it's a problem. It's a financial type of problem uh, that needs to be uh, dealt with. We can send them to, and a lot of times that's what happens. Uh, that's the only time you can get their attention is like if they've sat in jail and then they begin to realize, well, maybe I have a problem. Then you can uh, order or allow them to get out based on them going straight to a facility and then uh, perhaps taking up long-term treatment after there. They, they can leave the uh, drug, the 28-day program and go to a sober living uh, facility after that. And if that, if that works, you can monitor that and, um, and hold over, you know, kind of hold over their heads and mm-hmm. check on them. And, and they do have a drug court. Uh, Baton Rouge has a drug court yes. where, uh, you know, people can go through uh, and— uh, but it has issues as well. If you ever had any kind of um, violent offense, violent charges, it's very difficult to get in if you're found with a gun. So 
I it's uh, I haven't had too many people that have been able to go in through the drug court program uh, because even if they didn't shoot the gun, the fact that they had it makes the people leery about letting them in. What's your thoughts about Baton Rouge as a community? You've you've lived here for a long time now. I'm a native, so <laughs> and, and I have my own thoughts about it. But I'm curious, uh, as someone who came from Alabama and moved here and planted her flag here in Baton Rouge and decided to stay, uh, what are your thoughts about what you have seen in this community uh, over the span of, of years? Are, are we getting better? Are we about the same? Are we getting worse? What's your thought? Well, I think well, I think we're getting better. Uh, I, you know, people were always uh, the uh, the reason why uh, we came. Well, my, well, what happens when you uh, engineer? They interview in different places. Mm-hmm. When we came to Baton Rouge, the people here were nice, and so we said, well, okay, we'll this this is where we'll we'll come and uh, and try to uh, build a a life. Um, it's. Uh, it's changed when when I first got here, and people would say, "Well, they work on the campus," and I was like, "Well, which campus are they talking about?" Well, so, I thought, well, well, yeah, and I, I, I yes. discovered that that, that that was what they meant. The campus was yes. was, was southern, yes. and so now we've gone to where Southern played LSU, uh, and you know the the idea of the community trying to come together, I thought was a was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are you know still issues. Uh, there's still a lot of poverty. Uh, I think the uh, education system, we try to, um, you know, have equal education. But once uh, some of the tax base moved out and uh, went to the private schools, that made it a, a little bit more uh, difficult. So uh, there, there's still a lot of things to be worked on, but I guess that's the same, would be the same just about anywhere mm-hmm. you would be. But uh, I think that things are, are getting better. Do you have any connections with Birmingham? Uh I know you've been gone for a long time, but that's home for you. That's that, my my cousins are there. Well, when, and my my parents moved to to Maryland while when I was in college, uh, uh, but uh, my cousins are still there, and I still uh, you know go there on uh, on occasion. So then, by uh, comparison uh, with 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 Baton Rouge, is Birmingham more advanced, as advanced, less advanced, uh, based upon uh, your conversations with with your family? Well, Birmingham, when I was there, was like the it, at that time it was the gun murder capital of the South. It was like a city. You, you know, I I came here with locking my doors automatically. You know, now mm-hmm. since I've been here, I'm a little, I've gotten a little bit more lax. I don't necessarily always. So it, it, to that extent, um, you know, Baton Rouge is is, is better. We're moving toward <laughs> to the mm-hmm. Birmingham uh, situation now, but uh, and Birmingham has uh, they have a black mayor as well. Um, they um, and the uh, white community moved out to uh, Mountain Brook and and Hoover and and left the the city sort of uh, yes yeah so they they I think they did something in Birmingham they started taxing people who worked even if you worked in Birmingham there was some kind of little tax that you had to pay because you came and used the things and went back uh, right. to another to another part of town so. Um, I'm, Birmingham is it's, it's coming along. It's coming along, but it it, it still has uh, has uh, some of those high crime issues. Um, but uh, I'm I, I'm so they don't have as good food in, <laughs> in, in Birmingham well, as they have. <laughs> I have a couple of friends who pastor in Birmingham, and they might take issue with you, but <laughs> but but I tend to agree. Um, when you moved here, who was mayor? Uh, uh, Woody Dumas? I believe it was Woody Dumas. Okay. Yes. So you you went through the Dumas administration. I believe he was mayor for 16 years. And then it was Tommy Ed McHugh. And then it was Pat Screen. And then it was Bobby, uh, I can't remember his last name. Yeah, Simpson. Uh, Bobby Simpson. Uh, before we finally got to Mayor Holden, Kip Holden, who was the first African-American mayor, uh, uh, from a from the standpoint of city government, and as uh, uh, an attorney who was working towards uh, civil justice issues in this community, uh, did you see that progress as being something beneficial for our community, or have we benefited from that progress? I think we could have benefited more. Now, that's one thing I think Birmingham has done that that maybe uh, Baton Rouge need, need, has not done. I think that they had more uh, minority businesses uh, to to, uh, 
benefit from the fact that uh, the, the city uh, administration changed. Um, I understand that we're in the process now of uh, trying to get uh, more uh, female and uh, minority business uh, enterprises uh, in Baton Rouge, and I think that's a benefit, you know, mm -hmm. because I, I think that uh, one of the problems that I noticed is it's good to teach kids to grow up and get a job, but I think it's also uh, beneficial to teach them that business is uh, uh, owning your own business or having right. your own entrepreneurship is, yeah, is, 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 is good as well. You don't always have to depend on somebody else. You know, you, you we have a lot of ideas. We're, you know, we have people with great ideas. They need to be able to to function and, and um, get the benefits of uh, contracts and that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. um, one of the problems, I think, which I'm getting all political now, is that we pay our uh, city council so little. My, my, my brother is now in Maryland. He couldn't believe that, we, that the city council people only made the little money they make. Up right. there they make like 100, he said they make 100,000 because they don't want them to be able to be bribed by you know, people in the, in the community. So they, they pay their council people hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and and because they don't want, they don't want them to be beholden to, you know, the 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 people who are. I don't think they seat. pay state legislatures. <laughs> well, no, uh, and that that's Maryland. I'm sure it's a bit, you know, it's a bigger city with more uh, uh, resources, a bigger state with more resources. But I think they make like fifteen thousand dollars a year for. They say it's a part time job. Right. And then so you have to. You know, lean toward the people who are going to contribute to your campaign so you can run again. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that may be an issue that they need to take a look at. Mm -hmm. You know, that's out of my pay grade. but No, I, but, I, uh, I, I value the, the, the opinion and, and the thought process. Uh, I'm concerned that uh, there has been a brain drain in Baton Rouge and East Baton Rouge Parish. Uh, typically, I wait till the end to ask uh, this question of, of, of people uh, about their children or their grandchildren, as the case may be. Would you want them to grow up and, and remain in this community? Uh, you have two universities. Uh, you have a community college. Uh, and yet, more often than not, I hear people saying, I don't want my children uh, to stay here. <laughs> What's your thought about that and what we can do to help change that response? Well, gee, that, may, that might have been a subject I should have told you not to bring up. My daughter, <laughs> my daughter moved to Maryland uh, about eight years ago, where my brother is, and she really always talks about how she wants to come back. She says, I won't let her come back. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's not true. It's not that I won't let her come back, because that's when she talks to me. I'm like, well, Naomi, you know, we're uh, number one on every, in everything bad and, and, and at the bottom of everything good. Mm -hmm. Why would I want you to come back to that? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I understand. And, and then uh, other friends of mine, their kids are all headed to Texas. So yes, Texas is a, is is a, is a place where a lot of them are going to. Uh, we need to do something to to keep them here. I don't know, um, you know, exactly what the the solution is, but um, it, until there are positions, I think at one time maybe being at the plant was enough to keep mm -hmm. keep people here because you really didn't even need a college degree if you got out. I guess you got out of high school, you got a job at the plant. You you know you were doing well and you could do well. But uh, young people today want to be able to, 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 I guess, progress, move up, see the, the uh, chances of moving up. And uh, even though I think uh, my daughter had a master's, the, the amount of money that she was making here just didn't even uh, compare to what she's made in, 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 uh, in D.C. Sure. So, uh, so it's kind of, you know, you want them to be home. Uh, and uh, she, she's uh, she's here now because she, they're, they're letting her uh, work uh, you know, remotely. virtually, remotely, so she can uh, tell me how to run my campaign because I, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And, she, <laughs> and, of course, she does. So she went to the lab school, so, you know, they, are, wow. they, they know everything. <laughs> I, I went to the lab school, too, so yeah, sir, I have so, no problem with that. Right, so they, so uh, they, know, how to, they know how to be in control of things. So, yes. so she's down there doing that. But, uh, you know, it's just difficult to want, you know, if she could find something, that would bring her back 
uh, here, that would be good. But I, you know, I don't know where in. Well, t- taking it away from 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 your child, mm-hmm. and, and I know the question is generally about your your progeny. Uh, just in general, there seems to be a brain drain in Baton Rouge, and I would imagine in the rest of Louisiana as well, uh, where people want to go to Texas or want to go to Tennessee or want to go. Uh, somewhere outside of the state, they feel like they can be more economically successful and more economically independent in those places. Uh, are wages that much more regressive here, uh, oppressive here, than they are in other parts of the country? Louisiana has uh, one of the smallest uh, uh, state income taxes. Uh, in the in the country, uh, but our sales tax system is so regressive. Uh, and when and so, I came here, it was so the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> when I came, when I came, we, it, the the sales tax was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> but uh, I think um, part of it may be uh, that when children grow up. They usually want to go somewhere. Now, I, I'm not saying that they, you know, maybe the, our problem is they don't come back. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you grew up and were in, in one place, when we were young, I guess it didn't bother us. You know, you grew up, you, you know, it was all right. You didn't know whether where else to go or unless, they, well, people went to Detroit or, or Chicago or something mm-hmm. like that. But now I think people, kids want to go to get away from up under their parents. And then, you know, sometimes they will come back. Maybe the problem is that they're not coming back as much as they should, or we're not attracting other people's young people mm-hmm. so that, it, you know, if they grew up somewhere else, maybe they would come to Baton Rouge as opposed to staying where they were. So, I mean, I know there's a brain drain. There's, there's the universities are here, um, and maybe they, they could do something to uh, try to... Uh, get people to stay. Retain people. Uh, retain people. Um, part of um, some of the stuff with Louisiana is, you know, it's like uh, they've been teaching on campus for 300 years, and they taught the mother, the, the grandmother, right. and, the, and the daughter. And so, you know, you don't see an opportunity to, to get in there. Um, so I don't know if that's, if that's part of it, but... Uh, uh, I think um, we could do some things that would maybe bring young people, whatever attracts young people. Austin, is, Texas is supposed to be where all the young people are going. I don't know where the other, the nephew that I raised from the time he was four, that's where he is. He's in Austin. Okay. And um, so I think he's making he's making more money than he was making when he was when he was here. So, I, I, you know, I guess I think that's part of it. And the, the excitement, uh, you know, maybe New Orleans would have been, Something that would have drawn people because they because in Texas is you know it's Houston and then there's Dallas and then there's you know that that'd be closer to New Orleans. Uh, one of the reasons why I used to say people would say that uh, they really love Baton Rouge because it's closer to New Orleans, but mm-hmm. you don't have to live there. Yeah. So that you know that might be something that uh, might bring people back because they were um, if you know if there was something they could see where they can get the entertainment or whatever it is that they are looking for out there and then still be safe. As a prospective uh, jurist, if I were to ask you what two or three things you think John Q. Public needs to know about the law, uh, uh, what what would your list include? My sister and I go back and forth about the law all the time, and she tells me I'm ignorant uh, because because I don't know anything about the law. And 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 so, as as an attorney, please don't call me ignorant. But 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 but, but as an attorney, what things are there that I, as a layperson, uh, citizen of of this community, should know about the law that I don't know? Well. Um that you don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure, but as the average person doesn't know is, call the lawyer first before, you know, you you do all, uh, whatever it is you do and then come back and call them. You know, call them first before you, you know, make the statement, sign the contract, uh, you know, buy a pig in a poke, whatever. You know, it's best to try to get advice first. 
um, and that um, you know, mine. I guess mostly I do uh, a criminal. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have the right to remain silent is very important. Uh, and as far as, uh, uh, but as far as um, successions and 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 property, you should know that when someone passes, you know, you, you there are steps you have to take to get property transferred. Don't let it be three and four generations down talking about this is our property because what happens mm -hmm. is we, we end up losing a lot of property mm -hmm. because John had five children and three of them moved to Chicago and we don't know where they are and nothing was done. And then years later, the property, you know, you can't get a clear title because nothing was done to, to clear the property. So it's, I think it's important that, that, that we take care of uh, mothers and dads property that they work so hard for when they pass to take the steps to to transfer it uh, so that it doesn't get lost uh, down the down the line in some cases successions can be quite expensive well, uh, more expensive than the perceived value of the property itself this is particularly true the area where this church sits, there, there are a lot of shotgun houses around here where the value is probably far less than $20,000 uh, for, for the property. And if you've got four heirs uh, that you have to go through uh, for a $20,000 uh, piece of property, the cost of that is is disadvantageous to somebody, my way of thinking. Somebody now. did something about that. They, they there's recently there's a there's a statute that's passed that if the property is under a certain amount and I think it may be fifty, it may be a little higher than that. Now you can go by affidavit and do it. You don't have to go through a whole long succession. If, okay. If all the, the heirs are there, you can go in, fill out the affidavit, and you know it. it you still be better to have have a lawyer do it, right. but I, I'm I'm thinking you you know you're clearly under a thousand dollars to to get it to get it done, and uh, so that that's something that's just come up in recent years. That's uh, very important. And adjudicated property, since since you brought up property, uh, it takes what two years to clear adjudicated property. Uh, Pretty much. Uh, has anything been done to streamline that process? Not that I'm aware of. I think the idea is that the adjudicated property is, is, is well, somebody's property that they didn't pay the taxes right. on. So they, they give them the opportunity to come back and, and get it, you know, past a certain time. So I, I think it usually takes about that long to, to get it done. Uh, but, I mean, you, once you start off, if the person is going to come back, then, you know, you give them that time but if they haven't come back in about two years then they're normally not going to come back so you mm -hmm. you're in, you're in good shape you received your law degree from lsu uh you taught as an associate professor at southern yes. uh both law centers uh southern has the distinction if i'm not mistaken of producing more African-American lawyers than any other law school in the country. If, if I were to ask you to do a comparison and contrast between LSU and Southern, uh, what, what, what would that be? How would that look to you? Well, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been at LSU. Um, and I know that when I when I finished LSU, it was almost a year before I would drive down the street where, where, the, where, the, where the law school was. I think I don't know if I thought they were gonna come snatch me back in there or what. But I mean, I, Southern the there was uh, a um, it, it, I know they say they have a seriousness of purpose, but there also was I think a dedication to the to the students that mm -hmm. you know we wanted the, we wanted the students to succeed. Uh, we tried to help them. Um, at LSU, it was sort of, you know, the, the classic, uh, you know, uh, look to your left, look to your right, somebody sitting next to you not going to be here right. next time. And, and so it was, you know, each man for himself and, and, God, and God for us all. Uh, so so that, that was the difference. You know, it was kind of a battle. Uh, and like I said, at that time, when I was at uh, LSU, they were only – uh, a handful of, of, of black students even there, so it was a whole different type of uh, situation. Um, and uh, but Southern, I think, uh, has a lot of potential. It does. Uh, it, it, it now, I think, has a civil rights uh, uh, division. 
uh, uh, area. I thought that was something that they really needed to, I think we needed to, to send lawyers out that are willing to do the work for the community mm-hmm. that, that, that that we come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are going to be some, we need corporate lawyers, that's good. We need prosecutors, that's good. But we also need people that are dedicated to, to doing things to help the overall community. And I think that's what Southern uh, needs to do and I think has uh, has started to do so. Uh, the elderly, I think they have an elderly uh, department that tries to help uh, the people. So I, I think that's all beneficial, mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and I think that's the, that would be the difference that I remember between the, 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 the two. You're a member of Allen Chapel AME Church, yes. uh, which is in North Baton Rouge, for those who might not be familiar. Uh, I would imagine that faith plays a large part in your life. Uh, as you approach this this campaign, this run for a judgeship, uh, can you talk about uh, your faith and how that uh, interacts with your uh, legal aspirations? Well, yes, there's, uh, I mean, I grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in the AME church. I started off with uh, in um, Condoleezza Rice's uh, father's church, uh, the Presbyterian church. And then my father moved us to the Lutheran Church because uh, Reverend Rice didn't want uh, us marching because he didn't want us killed. So, uh, but I, uh, I I joined the AME Church, um, and it, it it my faith means a, a great deal to me. Um, I saw I heard a song the other day. I know not know the lady who sings it, but she was saying that it's the little church I grew up in. You know, if you want to know how, why I am the way I am, mm-hmm. it's the church I grew up in. And when, and when we were coming up, church was about to. Main only place my my mom would, would let us go. So mm-hmm. we we went. We had uh, something uh, on Saturdays. We had something on Sundays. Uh, we um, you know we worked in the community. That was when uh, Vista Volunteers and Service to uh, the community were there. They come, and you know all of that you know, built up a faith and a belief in me to uh, always pray. And uh, and then as you go through life, uh, you find out that uh, uh, when there's nobody else to turn to and you turn to the Lord and, and, and things come out right, then, uh, you know, you're able to go to go forward. Mm-hmm. And I try to I tell, uh, you know, my, my daughters that and my daughter and my son that. And um, so when, when I decided to run, I decided that I would give it my very best. And then if the Lord wants me to be there, then that's where I'll be. If not, then I'm sure he has something else he wants me to do. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's how I'm, uh, I approach it. Allen Chapel sits right outside of the gates of Exxon. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about environmental racism uh, that exists within uh, communities like Baton Rouge and, of course, in rural areas like St. James Parish and, and what have you. Uh, what are your thoughts about uh, uh, the environmental situation, the, 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 the uh, pollution, uh, and the, the, the carcinogens that seem to lead to a heightened uh, uh, cancer problem that exists within this community? When I talk to business people about this being Cancer Alley, they say that that's just a marketing ploy, that it's not real. But my eyes tell me something else. What I read tells me something else. So what are your thoughts about that? See, you keep, I, okay, when people say that they have um, uh, sinus, I tell them, I, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm guilty of telling them, I say, that's Exxon, you know. <laughs> so, and, and I know that, and somebody told me it's steam. Well, it looks like to me when it rains, mm-hmm. Exxon, they have these white clouds that come up in, in, in there, so all that steam going up. And part of what you think uh, are, are clouds in the sky are actually stuff that comes up from Exxon. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very suspicious about it, and I know that. I remember when they had a, a down in Geismar, there was a whole— um, street and everybody almost every woman on the street had had a miscarriage and they said oh that was just a coincidence that didn't have anything to do with the with the uh uh chemical plants mm-hmm. so i i i think that there is you know uh, something to be said now of course you can't say anything against exxon because that's where the, the <laughs> that's where the, that's where the money comes from they i say. can say anything i want <laughs> well, you know, uh, and because then, i'm i i i don't work for exxon right but it, yeah, yeah but the, the uh <laughs> I guess those that could do something about it, 
uh, are going to be not going to want to do anything about it because that's, they think that's the, the economic base. Uh, perhaps uh, the change in the uh, uh, industry about oil and gas may uh, help in some way if they when they once they go to electric vehicles and other means of of of, of uh, trying to uh, to do something with the um, environment. Maybe that will change, but I think clearly, um, you know, the the problem is uh, we're right there in the black community right there by the... Do you think that environment pollution has an impact on crime? Is, is there anything that suggests that there's a relationship between uh, pollution and air quality and crime? Now, that's, I, 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 that's something I never thought about. Um, I, I, I never thought about that. Uh, I, I guess... Uh, that's a possibility. Somebody ought to do a study. Yeah, somebody, yeah. Some, somebody ought to figure it. Yeah. got two universities. One, yeah. One of them could do a study and find out, you know. Uh, we, it may be the environment, because the environment has uh, uh, the people who live around it are in poverty or you know, on the lower levels that may, may in that way affect uh, crime. And these things can have an impact on how you think, uh, on brain function. Oh, and, yes. And things of that sort. Uh, if if drugs can have an impact on 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 one's physical body and on one's thinking, if secondhand smoke can have an impact on one's body and on one's uh, medical condition, certainly the chemicals that are released by these plants. Uh, I don't want to single out Exxon, Dow Chemical, uh, Shell, the other plants. Uh, certainly, that can have an impact on on people. If you're breathing that in and out every day, it can have an impact on, on how you think. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I would think so. So it, 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 it may uh, cloud your thinking uh, and cause you to take action that if you, you know, otherwise uh, wouldn't take. Well, as you near the end of, uh, of this campaign, uh, uh, what do you want to say to the community uh, that you think is most important for them to remember as they get ready to go vote? Well, I think it's important that we vote. Uh, I would like for them to vote for me. I think I, you know, I have the experience and uh, uh, the dedication to be a, a good judge. But it's most important that they look at the candidates and make a decision and vote. And, and because your vote is your voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, once the people have spoken, then then we, you know, normally we usually go along with it. I know the, the president, the last president didn't want to exactly go along with that. <laughs> but but it, it's important that you, we take um, some control over what happens to us. When I started practicing, there were no black judges, there were no female judges. Um, but times have changed, mm -hmm. and um, you know it, it's important that you have people in there that will listen to your story, that, that won't decide that, oh, yeah, I heard that before, or, I don't want to hear that, or I don't understand where, that, where you're coming from. But So it's important that you do that and you come out and, and uh, assert for yourself and, and vote. Gil Honre, thank you so very much for taking the time to share with us today. Uh, and I wish you very well. Thank very, you very much. I, I, I wish you great it. success in, in your upcoming election. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.